Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I am Ryan Young, publisher at Trojansports.com, your familiar anchor of this show, of this podcast. But now that we're back in full swing with preseason fall camp underway, we are going to try and bring you a variety of voices on this podcast, mixing it up each week. We will definitely have plenty more of Max Brown, my familiar co-host, our Trojansports.com analyst throughout the season. But as we progress through camp, I wanted to give you some different perspectives, different voices. So today, very excited to have on the show Antonio Morales, the excellent USC beat writer for The Athletic, good friend of mine. And the last time we had him on the show, we had such great response. People said, bring back Antonio. And so we try to bring the listeners what they want. So Antonio is back on the podcast. Just a quick note, he and I, just due to the busy practice schedule, had to tape our segment on Monday morning before Monday's practice. Uh, not much changed since then, but just to give you a few updates that will be relevant to the discussion. Corey Foreman, five-star freshman defensive end, is battling a groin injury, did not practice Monday, but everything we talked about with him is still very relevant. The offensive line uh, shuffled a great deal Monday, and it's only going to make our comments sound even more prescient as Cortland Ford returned to the first team, got a long look at first team left tackle again with Jonah Monheim at first team right tackle with him. That was the most common first team OL grouping, and that will play right into what we discussed on Monday as we encouraged everyone not to overreact to the fact that Cortland Ford had been playing second team right tackle for six of the first eight practices. I won't step on the discussion and debate here. We'll get to it later in the podcast, but uh, it's all going to make sense for you. Otherwise, just some news and notes from Monday. Clay Helton said that redshirt freshman offensive tackle Casey Collier, who has had an extended absence, uh, gone home to Texas to be with his family for personal reasons and is expected back Tuesday. There were a slew of injuries uh, you can check all those out on our full, in-depth daily practice report at trojansports.com, as well as highlights from each practice. And Monday, it was Miller Moss making three of the biggest throws of the day. Kind of a nice response to Jackson Dart's uh, impressive scrimmage performance Saturday, where Dart kind of stole the show with three touchdown passes. Moss comes right back and makes some really nice plays Monday. And Drake Jackson, who we did not see in the scrimmage, kind of just reminded everyone you know, why he's a projected potential high draft pick and why this is, as he says, his money year. So we'll get into all that with Antonio. It was a great discussion. Also, we're going to tack on a segment with Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney because the Rivals 250 rankings for the 2022 class were updated on Tuesday morning. And there was a lot of moving and shaking. A lot of that impacted USC commits and targets. None more so than quarterback commit Devin Brown, who jumps 126 spots into the Rivals' top 50. Very well-deserved move for Devin Brown, who opened a lot of eyes this summer at the prestigious Elite 11 competition back in July and came out in his first game for Corner Canyon High School in Utah this season and threw eight touchdown passes in the first half. So uh, Devin Brown... Definitely has uh, some soaring stock right now, and that's reflected in the new Rivals rankings. We'll discuss that with Adam Gorney as well as big news Monday that top local receiver Tetheroa McMillan commits to Oregon over USC and Arizona. Definitely a tough recruiting loss for the Trojans. We'll discuss that with Adam and some other recruiting matters. 
Without further ado, though, without any more palaver from me, let's get right to the show. All right, without further ado, we bring in the Athletics Antonio Morales, the very fine USC beat writer, good friend of mine, backed by popular demand. Antonio, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thank, thank you for coming back. The uh, the subscribers demanded it after your last appearance. They said, we, we need more Antonio. It's good to hear that. It's good to hear that. If if I didn't like the guy so much, Antonio would be a major thorn in my side because it seems like he's always working on the same feature story I am or a story that's been on my list I haven't gotten to yet. So uh, definitely a friendly rivalry, we can say. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, well, let's get into it, Antonio. You and I were both at USC's first scrimmage Saturday in the Coliseum. I have a bunch of topics I want to get to, but I want to just start broadly and, and get your overall thoughts. What stood out to you the most from that first scrimmage session? I feel like it was hard to take away much. Obviously, the defense had a good day, but it's hard to tell anything right now. There's no Drake Jackson, so maybe the defense could have been even better just because he's such a dominant player. Uh, there was no Keaton Slovis, oh, except for a couple of series. There's no Keaton Slovis. There's no Drake London. There's no Keontae Ingram. And those are three critical players to the offense. So I felt like it was more learning about the young quarterbacks, learning a little bit more and seeing them a bit more um, and just seeing some of the younger guys and some of the backups play because I don't think we could have really told much from – we weren't really told much from the starters and things like that. It was good to see guys like Corey Foreman who was, who was making plays and, uh, and seeing Sierra and Ray John Davis and those guys out there. Those are all fair points, but do you not come out of it at least a little underwhelmed by the offense? I mean, yes, we didn't see a lot of Keaton Slovis, no Ingram, no London. Those are going to be focal points, but you'd still like to see more. I mean, it was really uh, – we were sitting there talking amongst the, the writers and going, are they going to score at all today until Jackson Dart's flurry of, of touchdown tosses late in the, in the thing? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm not drawing hard and fast conclusions, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't underwhelmed. Yeah, that wasn't an ideal day for the offense. And like we've talked about, talked about before with Drake London outside of him and Taj Washington, who's done it on at the in, in a group of five level, there's no real proven playmakers um, on the outside for this team. So I, I think that showed up on Saturday. Uh, I think that was highlighted with Drake, Lund- with Drake London's absence. Uh, and I think that just emphasized they're going to need to really keep him healthy um, this year because if, if he were to miss any time for any reason um, the wide receiver core doesn't look as um, prominent or um, or frightening as it does with him and so they need to keep him healthy and I think the same kind of goes for Keontae Ingram just because I, I know we talked about all the guys that were out but the, start, the starting offensive line was still in there and uh, the running backs weren't getting that much room or making Keenan Christian made some plays here and there but um, you know there weren't a ton of big runs, so um, I, I think it was an, under, an underwhelming day for the offense, but we'll see how it is when Drake London and Kent Ingram are in there. Yeah, I mean, it's totally different with those guys, and I just did my eight top eight takeaways from the first eight practices, and one of them was that I think Drake London's going to be among the most high-volume targeted guys in the country this year. I know fans have gotten used to this you know, balanced passing game where – you had the Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ra and the Drake London really kind of evenly split among targets. 
that's not going to be the case this year, in my opinion, at least. And we, we have seen Drake London work both inside and outside in camp, as Clay Helton uh, had told me beforehand was the plan. I, I think he is just going to be the go-to guy as often as possible. And then you'll have a bevy of complimentary guys who are all in that 300 to 600-yard range for the season. But I think you're going to have a monster year from Drake London if he stays healthy out there. And I agree, that's, that's certainly why you don't put him out in the scrimmage. I mean, that guy takes every single rep, whether it's a game, a practice, whatever, at the exact same high-intensity level. And we've already seen him kind of you know, collide with defenders a few times this camp and look a little shook up, so there was no need to put him out there Saturday. But I, I think we're going to see just a, a, a offense revolve around Drake London this fall. Yeah, I think so too. But the you talked about the, the spreading out of the targets. I, I'm, I'm curious to see – because you couldn't really take away of all all of USC's receivers in the past, and like, if you try to focus on Michael Pittman, there was Naman Ross and Brown there. There was a Drake Lunchman. There was a Tyler Bonds. I'm interested to see just because Drake's the only high level playmaker on this offense right now. So how will our, our defense is going to make it at a, a point just to you know double him every week and, and limit those touches? Um, so that's something I'm kind of wondering about right now and, and force the other guys to kind of beat you, force a Taj Washington or a Gary Bryant or a Joseph Manjack or whoever plays, force those guys to beat you and kind of limit Drake such as. Yeah, I mean, that'll be the ultimate evaluation on Graham Harrell this year because, you know, you don't have the quantity of established top-end guys, but you have a lot of depth, a lot of options, a lot of ways you could get creative with, you know, you have five compelling running backs. You have all the tight ends we've talked about, you know, Trigg and, and Epps. You have a depth of receivers. They're just not all proven, but there's a depth. There's a lot of things you can do there and move things around be creative, and, and that should be uh, what we judge Graham Harrell on is, is how is he able to free up Drake London, his top playmaker, to, to be a focal point. It, and, you know, that's why they're going to move him around, but, you know, just moving him from outside to inside isn't necessarily enough to – to fool a defense's game plan. So they're going to have to be really creative around him and and try and set him up for plays because I think a lot hinges on on how much he's able to do this year. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you said, it just seems like there's a lot more a lot more potential targets, a lot more potential guys who could contribute to the offense this year um, than in years past. Uh, Keontae Ingram, Mubai, um, Barlow, if, if he's healthy, uh, um, the guys behind Drake who have the potential to contribute and the tight ends, like we mentioned. So it'll be interesting. Maybe this offense takes on a new look to where it's not, you know, as, as wide receiver focused. Uh, maybe there is a mix of tight ends and more running backs in the past game. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. Well, I have some other topics that are definitely pressing, like the offensive line, uh, Keaton Slovis. But let's just stay with the playmakers for a second since we're on it. And you've mentioned Taj Washington. He's maybe the guy who's opened my eyes the most this camp because of course he wasn't here in the spring you know they brought in so many transfers that you really didn't know which ones were going to be the immediate impact guys we thought that Taj had a chance to be but he's really impressed me and I think he can do a little bit of everything obviously he has he has really top-end speed Um, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily been the most consistent deep threat so far but where he's really shined to me is just in that short and intermediate passing game with his quick cuts. He just his footwork and his quick cuts and his short burst speed. 
He just has a, a consistent knack for leaving defensive backs flat-footed and creating space for receptions. I think he's going to be a, a, a nice safety blanket for Keaton Slovis, a guy who can get open in, in those first two three seconds pretty consistently. Yeah, I think he can be a big play threat, but in a way we're not really used to seeing where it's like Michael Pittman going deep uh, for a pass, where it's more so like we saw on on Saturday's scrimmage where he took a short pass from Miller Moss, uh, made one cut across the field, and all of a sudden he was 20, 30 yards uh, yeah. downfield. Um, so I, I think he could be a big play threat, but just in ways we're kind of not used to seeing with USC's offense just because the receivers have been bigger and um, – you know, bigger bodies and more more typical deep threats. I think he can be more of a, a yak, big play kind of guy. That's some of the stuff he did at Memphis, too. I know last year there was a play against Cincinnati where he took a short pass and went 90 yards against one of the better defenses in the country. So I think um, he just adds a different element. Um, I think it's kind of more of what people kind of expected from Gary Bryant, too. Uh, but Gary's obviously been... Yeah. struggling with injuries and stuff like that. But I think Taj kind of adds that element that people expected. Yeah, we, we can't really weigh in too heavily on Gary Bryant from this camp because he's battling a hamstring injury again. And uh, it was it was the ankle to start last year. He's battled a hamstring before, if I recall correctly. We've just got to get him to a point where he's healthy for an extended period of time. We can get a true sense for what he can do. I'm still a huge believer in him, but there's not much we can say right now based on camp. But we can talk about Manjack Mania. Joseph Manjack, the lowest rated recruit in USC's 2021 recruiting class, already getting first team reps. He was out there uh, in Drake London's spot opposite Taj Washington as a, as a first team outside receiver Saturday. We've seen him get some first team reps before. I mean, I've tried to convey to the, to the readers, subscribers, you know, why he's generating buzz, but let's get a fresh take. Antonio, what has impressed you about Joseph Manjek? Just the way he's not been the, the stage of the moment, the fall camp hasn't been too big for him. He just looks like he belongs um, out there. And I was talking to one of the coaches the other day, and they were telling me, uh, you know, usually they let the receivers learn one position at a time and then go from there. And they said Manjek has already learned all three spots, all three receiver spots, basically. Um, so he's very comfortable um, in this offense, and he's looked, you know, he's looked like he like he's belonged I mean, ever since he's kind of stepped foot on, on the practice field. And obviously, the, the hands kind of speak for themselves. The no gloves um, takes a lot of confidence, and and he's just a confident kid um, in general. He just seems very sure of himself out there, and uh, he, he's been making the plays that have uh, kind of had everybody talking during uh, camp. If you haven't watched Manjack's uh, first interview with, with The Beat last week, I encourage everyone to watch it. He had some great one-liners, some great answers. But, yeah, just seemed like a guy just totally poised and, and confident and that knows he belongs at this level. And, you know, it's it's cliche to use the term old school or throwback, but that's kind of what he is. You can start with the, with the no gloves thing, which just, you know, kids just don't do nowadays, receivers. But then look at the way he – was used at his high school last year outside of Houston at Tombow Memorial. He was their leading receiver. He was one of their top running backs. He stepped in at starting quarterback for a few games and just had these video game stats across the board. He's just, he's just kind of a ball player. I do think we're going to see him on the field at some point this fall. I don't know if he's going to have a huge role because there are older guys ahead of him, but I think we're going to see him at some point. Yeah, I, I would think so too, just because if you're going through the list of receivers right now, 
who's definitely ahead of them you think Drake Taj Taj Gary Bryant then after that it's kind of it's, it's wide uh, open yeah yeah who knows maybe Kyle Ford um, depending on his health but yeah, after that it's it's wide open so it's a it's a good opportunity for him and Kyle Ford and Michael Jackson and those guys to kind of step in and, and compete for that spot well I'm glad you led us to our next topic which is Kyle Ford a, uh, a divisive topic for you and I uh, through the spring and entering the summer as we had different opinions. And I've, I've been just very high on Kyle Ford's potential for this year for a number of reasons. One, I mean, he's never been fully healthy for a season, so we can't really hold the last two years against him. Yes, he's had two ACL tears, but that's getting more and more common these days. He still was a top, top you know, national prospect coming out. He's always had elite hands. That's always been the thing that's just jumped out to me is this guy just catches everything. He just has these very strong elite hands where the, once the ball hits it, it's not going anywhere. And he's just built physically different than anybody else they have. He's I I, I hate I, I always revert to saying he's built like a tight end from the waist up. But that, that's probably not the best way to describe it. But he's just a very very strong. Uh, receiver, and I think that can be used as his advantage, and I think it's the reason why they want him inside, if possible, where he can, uh, as as he's put it himself, play some bully ball with guys. So I've always been high on him, and, and really it crystallized for me in May when I did an interview with him, and and just hearing him talk, hearing hearing his confidence, hearing him say, you know, well, I just, I mean, not not to be boastful, but I've just no one's ever been able to stop me when I've been healthy. Uh, I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, I could see why that would be the case. And then maybe, and, and I, I try not to get too swayed by interviews, but I don't know. I just, putting all those factors together and hearing him talk really sold me on it. And so I went all in on the Kyle Ford hype. You were a little more hesitant, which which is also fair. Uh, but where do you stand now on Kyle Ford? Yeah, it's, it's good to see the progress he's made just after the past two years and after the ACLs. Uh, I think we need to remember this is a guy who was the MVP of the opening in 2018 so he came in with uh, a lot of promise and a lot of potential and a lot of hype um, and, and it was justified he was a great high school football player I know you know he was getting the better of Chris Steele and those guys when he was in high school um, so he's a very talented player I, I was just always hesitant about the health and about the knees just because of the two ACL tears and um, I think one of the more encouraging plays that probably wasn't really you know, written about or recognized that much this past week was, I think it was on Thursday, the first day of full pads where we saw him cut um, near the sidelines after a short pass. Then I think he made a defender fall down, but yeah. uh, he cut and then he went upfield. And I think that showed some real trust in, you know, his body um, that we haven't seen in, in a while. And so I thought that was an encouraging sign for him that obviously he had a touchdown and several, ca- several catches on Saturday. I think uh, physically, you know, obviously, with the with how he's you know built up his body, I think that's like you said, that's an advantage for him. And he he was always kind of a bully ball type player when he was in high school as well. He's he's always had that mentality to where he wants to he wants to dunk on you basically. And uh, <laughs> you know, I think we saw that on Saturday when he had that touchdown against Sierra Wright, where he kind of just used his body to shield him on the back shoulders row and um, scored the first touchdown of the day. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of as he gets more and more confidence in his knee and with his health, kind of where he goes from here. 
Yeah. Well, enough about the receivers. There are more pressing matters to get to, at least from the perspective of our readers, subscribers, and USC fans. They want to know about the offensive line. And it's been interesting. I, I don't think we expected Jonah Monheim to come out and get the first team reps in six at left tackle in six of the first eight practices, while Cortland Ford works at the second team right tackle. You and I actually discussed this Saturday after the scrimmage about what we make of it. Uh, but let's just kind of recreate that conversation for the, the listeners here. What is your takeaway about where things stand at left tackle, at the offensive line overall, and but mainly between those two redshirt freshmen? Yeah, I think things are clearly trending well for Jonah Monheim. I, I think the writing was on the wall ever since the spring that he was going to probably get one of these two starting tackle jobs. Um, just the way they talked about him, the way they praised him, and um, – him, Clay McGuire and Clay Helton both, you know, spoke highly of him in the spring. And then we get to last week, and then Clay Helton said Jonah had an unbelievable summer and probably the best of anyone on the team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Clay McGuire was, was praising him as well. Um, so I think things are obviously trending well and in a positive direction for him to be one of the starting tackles. I don't know if it'll be at left or right, um, but... I think getting getting those reps certainly shows that they trust him and they have faith in him. Uh, I think uh, kind of uh, what we were talking about was like what's what's the reason Cortland Ford's kind of fallen to second team right tackle, and I think that's still kind of unknown. I think they want to give him and Jalen a, a fair opportunity at competing for a starting job, and I'm interested to see this week to see if anything switches up with the reps. And things like that. I don't think Cortland has been, you know, uh, terrible or anything this camp. So it's kind of been interesting to see him take most of his reps with the second team off the line after spending pretty much 100% of the spring with uh, the first team at left tackle. I don't don't remember him getting many second team reps at all. I remember, I don't remember many other people lining up at first team left tackle during the spring either. So it's been interesting to see him. getting those second team reps and uh, Jonah Monheim getting the first team reps and Jalen McKenzie getting the first team reps at right tackle. Um, I wouldn't rule Cortland Ford out as a potential starter though. So um, I'm, I'm curious to see where things end up this week in terms of the reps and how those are distributed. Cause I think uh, even though there is still time for the season and all three of these guys might play, I think um, now is kind of the time for guys to make a move with, with camp technically ending this week. Yeah, so I do put stock in in what Monheim is doing and the opportunity he's getting. I think there's a lot to read into that, and I think he's been really impressive. I've seen him get beat around the edge a few times, but when he engages at the point of contact, he's not getting moved backwards. He's a wall, and I think I've also seen him uh, get out and, and run blocking and, and, and be effective in that way too. Um, he's going to be raw. He's going to make, make mistakes, but, man, there's a lot of upside there. I really like him. I do not read a ton into Cortland Ford's usage, and I'm going to kind of repeat the same thing that I told you when we were talking about it the other day. What's more likely here, that Cortland Ford was the first-team left tackle all of spring, by all accounts was impressive, opened up a lot of eyes, stood out, has always been regarded as one of the best work ethic guys, so I'm sure he probably had a good summer, just assuming. So is it more likely that he that all of that is true and then he came out the first practice of fall camp with no pads and did enough to earn a demotion the second team right tackle? I don't think so. 
more likely, I think, that they came in the camp going, we, we know what Cortland Ford can do at left tackle. We used the whole spring to see it. They put him out there for the first practice, probably as just a, a sign of respect or an acknowledgement of, of where things were in the spring. And now they want to get that same look at Jonah Monheim at first-team left tackle. And they gave him that same extended audition. Meanwhile, I don't think they want to make waves yet with Jalen McKenzie. If he is going to eventually lose a starting job, and you know, I'm starting to feel bad because whenever we talk about him, all we talk about is who's going to pass him up on the depth chart. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's obviously very motivated and working very hard to improve and, and lock down that spot. But it just is kind of consensus thinking that we think the two redshirt freshmen are their best options. It would make too many waves to come out early in camp and demote your two-year redshirt senior starter to the second team. Have everyone talking externally. It would have uh, ripple effects internally, perhaps. It would have families and parents probably getting involved. It's just easier to put Cortland Ford there right now. You've already seen him work with the first team for a long time. You don't necessarily need to see him work at first team right tackle. And then you get to the, to the point where you make your final decision. I still think that they're going to play all three in, in at least the first game, maybe the first two. I think you'll have either Monheim or Ford uh, locked in at left tackle, and you'll have the other one rotate with McKenzie at right tackle. And then performance will dictate, and by week three or maybe even week two, you have a more set starting five where one of those two is locked in the right tackle job. And I will still believe it's going to be the two red shirt freshmen as the bookends. Yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment. I think we've seen this before under different staffs, under different offensive line coach, and under different defensive staff, but we've seen guys take first-team reps. I think Andrew Voorhees is taking first-team reps for the majority of camp at right guard in 2019, and then Drew Richmond was still getting settled in, and I think like a week or two before the season started, all of a sudden, their whole first-team offensive line changed, and yeah. Drew Richmond was getting reps at right tackle, and uh, Jalen McKenzie was getting reps at um, right guard, and I think on the other side of the ball, we've seen it too, whereas Towards as soon as they got closer to the season, maybe after the second or third scrimmage, remember when we saw Chase Williams, um, he was, who was getting first team reps all uh, all spring <laughs> and all training camp at nickel, and all of a sudden he gets replaced by Greg Johnson with a week to go before the season starts. So uh, there's still there's still some time for for things to change, and these scrimmages are always big kind of inflection points to where things change one way or another. I remember after the spring game this past April when um, everybody kind of had their reps and then they came back and Clay McGuire was putting Jonah Monheim with the first team right tack- at the first team right tackle spot over Jalen. Uh, so we've kind of seen this before in the spring. So I'm interested to see what, if anything, changes with the rep distribution um, at practice this week. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think my next week at the latest is when we're going to, be able to truly read into it but maybe it is this week where where we see what it's going to look like um i just know you know clay mcguire told us at the start of the camp he said you know we're gonna we're gonna move things around we're gonna get some different looks the first part of the camp and then we'll settle in closer to to mock game week so it's it's not like we're um you know inferring here that's what he told us he was going to do so that's just why i'm not going to read heavily into what we've seen through eight practices i had to laugh when you mentioned the chase williams example i that was probably the worst example of me getting totally duped into something 
as I, I wrote like a, a mini feature on Chase like the day before he lost that job to Gray Johnson and talking about how much the how much trust he had earned and how he, he was just this, you know, high IQ guy that they really just believed uh, gave him the best shot at that position. And then, yeah, it was, he, he was a second teamer the rest of the way. So uh, lessons learned every every spring, every fall. You have to you have to filter everything through and not take it at face value at all times. Okay, let's talk a little bit about another point of debate that we've had over the years. Keaton Slovis, or not over the years, but, but more recently, Keaton Slovis, his ability to shake off, you know, a slight downturn last year. And, you know, he's been very candid and open and talking about having lost some confidence in his arm. His arm didn't have a, the, the right offseason and uh, preseason to truly rehab it from the injury and get back and, and regain that confidence. Yeah, I'm not going to go through it all, but as I've always said, you know, every reason he's presented for why last season was a little askew makes sense to me, and every reason why he's presented this this preseason as to why things are different now also makes sense to me. Um, we've heard Drake London talk about you know, how well the ball's coming out of his hand, and I'm just maybe not as critical an eye as as you are or some others. He's looked fine to me this camp. Uh, he's had some nice deep ball completions. I think the velocity's there. And we haven't seen him forcing as many bad throws as he did in the spring. Antonio, what is your more critical evaluation of USC's third year starting quarterback? Yeah, my first day out there, I told you, I was like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, he had a bounce-back season but still didn't look like the 2019 Keaton Slovis and then he threw like three or four nice deep balls on that, <laughs> that practice uh, but uh, I came up to you after and I said I, I apologize but yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, um, you know I think I think he's looked better and more comfortable this spring I know on Saturday there was there was some deep shots that he didn't connect on I, I think that might just be a product of uh, he's not working with uh, Michael Pittman and Drake London and Tyler Vons and Amon Ross and Brown he wasn't working with those guys on, on Saturday. He was working with Joseph Mandek and Taj Washington and guys. He doesn't really have that rapport and chemistry with yet. Um, so, you know, all, all the deep shots he was taking and didn't really connect on. Um, I'm not really concerned by that at this point. There's there's nothing with his throws um, this, this camp that really has me concerned about him right now. Um, I don't think I've seen much of the ball floating or fluttering or um, him being laid on passes or things like that. So he's looked good. I think that's an encouraging sign for the offense. Well, good. So it's not just the Keaton apologist here uh, telling you things all is well with the starting quarterback. I, I have I have validation now. Um, yeah. uh, let's let's real quick talk about the freshman. And you know, obviously Jackson Dart had all the buzz and the hype coming out of the spring. But I think if you came in the fall camp and didn't know anything about Miller Moss or Jackson Dart, didn't know any of the narratives off of spring, through the first seven practices, I would have said, well, there doesn't seem to be much separation between these guys. That, of course, changed Saturday during the scrimmage when Jackson Dart really seized the moment again through those three late touchdowns. Um, what's that to you about the two freshmen so far this month? Yeah, I think like we've all said and like we've all written, uh, Miller just looks more confident this this camp uh, as opposed to the spring it looks more comfortable and, and like he said uh, he didn't get to play high school football in 2020 uh, so he's going from basically his junior year of, of high school football at uh, 
at Bishop Alamany to practicing against Isaiah Polamau and guys who are experienced players um, in USC secondary, guys like Chris Steele and um, guys like that. So I think that's a, that's a pretty big jump for any for any player to make. I think he's more confident in himself. I think he's taking more chances, taking more risks this camp. I think he's trusting his receivers more. I think that just comes down to having rapport and chemistry uh, with those guys. I think last week there's there's a day where he just let three or four passes fly, and I think one of them was the Josh Butler one had a catch. I think he tossed another long pass to Manjack and um, another one to another receiver. And that's just something we didn't really see a lot of in the spring, whereas Jackson Dart was taking more risks and, and things like that. And uh, so I think we've seen Miller close the gap a little bit. I think I still think if the season if the season were to be here today, I still think Jackson would be the number two. He, he wasn't really he hasn't been bad or anything during camp. He's had some rough days, but it's not it's not like um, he's been totally bad. He just wasn't setting the world on fire like he was yeah. in, the, in the spring or making those splash plays that we just all got accustomed to. Um, and then Saturday was a nice response from him to where um, he, he threw the only three touchdown passes of the day and he was moving the ball down the field. And I, I think that was a good response for him because Miller seemed to really be closing that gap. Miller, again, I, I'll refer everyone back to the interview we did with Miller Moss last week. If you haven't seen it, uh, he's, he's a really compelling interviewee and just gives really candid, thoughtful answers. And I asked him directly about, you know, Graham Harrell had told us after the spring, I, I challenged Miller to take more shots. You know, don't be overly conservative. And so I asked Miller about that quote, and you could tell that he was a little – it got to him in, in a way, and he goes, you know, I just I came into the spring thinking that I didn't necessarily have to prove that I could throw the deep ball. I just I know I can do it. I assumed everyone knew I could do it, and I thought I just needed to be, you know, smart and not take any bad chances and and try and be consistent. And I realized that, that wasn't the case, and I needed to come out and prove myself. So it was a very self aware uh, reflection on on his mindset then versus mindset now, and. Uh, he's definitely impressed. I think they have they have two really good young quarterbacks there, but I do agree that Dart is the guy. If it's uh, if it's called today, and it probably will be by the end of the, the month, but you know, heck, we've seen what's happened with the quarterback position in recent years. They've had to go to their third quarterback, uh, definitely to their second quarterback. So I, nothing would surprise me if, if any of those guys got in at some point. Yeah, um, it's really gone according to plan yeah. <laughs> the past couple of years at QB. So. Uh, you always have to keep your uh, keep your eyes open. Absolutely, and I, I know we already talked about the O line, but we'll just we'll just end here with the offense and go back to the O line real quick. I'm just going to phrase it more as a projection than, than anything else. What is your confidence level at this point that Clay McGuire will make a pronounced impact on the O line and the run blocking in particular? Uh, I, I think they'll be a, a bit better. Um, I think they'll do some things that puts the offensive line more advantageous. Uh, positions. I think we've seen that. Obviously, you can't report on scheme or stuff, but I think we've seen that a little bit with what they've done with some short yardage stuff in camp and back in the spring. Uh, I think they're trying new things, and I think Graham Harrell, I think Clay McGuire has Graham Harrell's ear, and you know Graham's willing to listen to suggestions from, from Clay McGuire. I think we've seen that throughout camp. Um, I think he's I think the offensive line has gotten better since the spring. I feel like they're not completely getting overwhelmed by the defense like they might, like they looked like they were 
in the spring where it just felt like none of these quarterbacks had time to throw. Um, I, I think they've been a bit better in that regard. Uh, I'm still kind of waiting to see to see how they do run blocking uh, with Keontae Ingram. They've looked good, but I'm still kind of still kind of hesitant to assess how they've done. There's only been two days of full pads, and um, you know their best running back hasn't been healthy, and one of their other good running backs hasn't been healthy either in Darwin Barlow. So uh, I'm still waiting to see it's a run game, but I think they have taken some some positive steps forward. Yeah, I, I don't think that Saturday was the best display for the offensive line. I do think the quarterbacks were largely rushed. But over the duration of these eight practices in, in totality, I do think I've seen improvement. I've We've seen more substantial run gains broken. Again, not always with full pads. A lot of those were just you know shoulder pad practices. But there's, there's signs. There's signs. And then it's always a question of how much do you want to read into the comments of the players. There's been some interesting ones. You know, before camp, Keaton Slovis really told me that, you know, just the communication is much smoother up there. Everything's on the same page. He saw a difference. And then we talked to Justin Gietich for a long time last week, and, and I was really trying to grill him in, on specifics as to what was actually different. And he kept saying the simplicity of the calls – uh, how quickly they're making their pre-snap reads and everything, and just the communication being on the same page, and not only the same page among the, the guys up front, but on the same page with the offense, and it just working in, in uh, synergy better. And that, that's all very nebulous stuff, and I don't really know how to quantify any of that, except that that was kind of the storyline uh, or the reasoning we heard from making the switch from Tim Drevno is that there was just a disconnect of some kind between the way he did things up front and the way that Graham Harrell wants it to jive with this offense, which is not an offense that Tim Drevno had ever been a part of before. That could just be a very convenient, logical, connect-the-dots reason, and we're putting way too much stock in that. Or we could find out that, yeah, that really was holding the unit back and Clay McGuire knowing the system intricately. And like you said, having the trust of Graham Harrell to make tweaks or suggestions, maybe that, that is... Uh, as important as personnel when the season comes. I don't I don't know where I fall yet on my belief factor there. I can be convinced either way. I can be convinced that all that stuff is really valid and it's going to translate when the season starts. And I can also be convinced that that might make some difference, but we're still looking at a, at a unit that had a lot of issues last year and has a lot of the same guys back this year. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it helps to a certain point, but at some point, uh, if you're going to run into uh, Kayvon Dippendale, you're going to be wondering who's going to block him on the soft line. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's a problem they still haven't solved yet. So I, I think it helps to a certain point. But I, I think I think it'll benefit them just the fact that they aren't facing a ton of great defensive lines on the schedule this year. I, I think some of that stuff will help. And uh, But I'll still wonder like who's going to block some of the better rushers they face um, when the time comes. Yeah. Well, let's swing it over to the defense. I guess the best place to start is Corey Foreman. I mean, he was the biggest storyline coming into camp. Yes, he's mostly been a second-team defensive lineman to this point, but you know they're, they're easing him in. They have the luxury to do that when they have a Nick Figueroa in front of him, who was the team's leader in sacks and tackles for loss last year. And I just I think they want Corey to be confident and comfortable with everything they add onto his plate and not throw too much at him at once and just kind of uh, bring him along at his pace. What has been your takeaway of what you've seen from the five-star defensive end Corey Foreman so far? I thought Saturday was one of his better days. 
he was tipping passes. There was that one screenplay that he read really, really well. I'm on Michael Jackson, and he made a tackle like as soon as Michael Jackson caught the ball uh, to stuff that out. So I, I think you can see him learning and progressing and things like that. Kind of, and obviously the athleticism is there. Everybody talks about it, and everybody mentions it when they speak about him. Um, so it'll be. I'll be, I'll be watching for him to make more plays as, as Kent progresses to see if it's I feel kind of the light is clicking for him and things like that. I know he's a guy like Miller who hasn't played football really in real games in a year and a half basically since 2019. Uh, so I, want, I think there's some rust he has to knock off too. I think he's mentioned that a little bit um, and kind of get that cardio up. And I, I think he'll take some more steps forward Um as the second week comes. What's what's a realistic or reasonable expectation for his impact, his stats as a true freshman this year? I'm not sure just because I, I would want to say like a Drake Jackson level kind of freshman season, but Drake came in in the spring and was was dominant right away. And you could tell, yeah. you know, this guy, this guy was going to start. I think USC has the benefit of being able to bring – Corey along slowly like you mentioned they have Nick Figueroa and Thule and Drake and those guys um, so I don't know if he'll be asked to do as much as Drake was so it's hard to kind of qu- like quantify like what sack totals or whatever I think Drake had five or five and a half his, his freshman year um, I, I don't know if Corey will have that many but we'll see what happens when he gets his number called yeah it, it's still too early to tell I, I agree that's that's probably a fair assessment well the nose tackle is a position that's not often talked about in football, and yet here it is like uh, front and center under the spotlight because, uh, you know, I don't have to rehash everything, but, you know, USC essentially lost what might have been its three deep entering the spring. Uh, and that's factoring in Ishmael Sopcher, who is just still inactive, and we don't know uh, if he's going to play at all this season just up in the air. So they essentially lost their three deep at that spot, and – they're trying to refashion it with some combination of Jamar Sakona and Stanley Taufu and uh, maybe Kobe Pepe. Where's your concern level, Antonio, about not just about that spot, but about how it impacts the entire defense as a whole, not having any experience there and, and really having to go down the depth chart now to fill that void. Oh yeah. This has been a big concern of mine for, for this team since December, I think, even before Peely got hurt, just because Peely really wasn't the most consistent player <laughs> when he was healthy. Uh, he would have been a, a really good body for this team to have just because he's big and he, he can eat up space. Um, but I've been kind of worried about this position for USC for, for a bit now. It's really a lot. Marlon had a really good season last year, and he really, really took a, took a step forward as a player uh, that we hadn't seen in 2018 or 2019. And with now you're just okay, so they lost, they lost Peely, they lost Toya to UCLA, and they lost. Um, oh, Ishmael Sopcher hasn't practiced yet, so that's the first three, and then the other two, uh, Sakona and Coy Pepe, went into COVID protocols last week. So you're basically on your on your sixth guy there <laughs> um, with with uh, Stanley, and uh, yeah, he came in as a as a linebacker, so. This is still somewhat a new position that he's learning, and 
you know, I think that that's just a concern just because he hasn't played this position for a long time and it wasn't, you know, he's probably like your sixth, your sixth option there at the position. Um, so we'll see what happens when Sakona comes back. Obviously, Kobe Pepe came back on Saturday but wasn't in full pads. He's just in solar pads. He still has to go to the, the acclimation period. But I think it's a concern just because you think of the guys they've had the past couple of years uh, before Marlin, it was, it was Jay and Marlin and um, they had the benefit of bringing Brandon Peely in as a, as a third guy, I guess a third defensive tackle off the bench. And the teams really couldn't run on USC up the middle in 2019. It was a lot of end arounds, a lot of reverses where teams kind of exploited them. But yeah. for the most part, teams really couldn't run inside. I think only Notre Dame really had success. So you knew coming in every week, okay, these teams aren't going to really run up the middle on USC. Uh, and, and then Marlin did a good job last year. And then now this year, it's, it's, a, it's a big question mark. Yeah, just a lot of unproven guys there. And, you know, in conjunction with that, when you look at the run defense, you have to look at the linebackers. And, you know, last year we saw a lot of Raymond Scott, but I, I kind of felt like that was out of necessity because there was nobody else healthy. I and mean, that's why they were starting Talano Hufanga at linebacker one game. I've been surprised that Raymond Scott is still very much in that mix. In fact, uh, has been rotating in with the first team pretty consistently all camp, and Tyler Orlando even acknowledged it, that it's it's a three, three-man three competition there, and, and he's right in it. Are you surprised by that? And, and what was your confidence level in the linebacker group as a whole at this point? Yeah, I'm still kind of surprised by it just because, like we said last year, it was EA left, and that kind of opened the door for – for Raymond Scott to play and he's still they brought in a couple of times with freshmen but uh, they're still kind of slowly coming along and that's left some some room for Raymond Scott to play and uh, I think he he rotated in with with Raylan and Kanai um, on Saturday I think I want to say Raymond even started on Saturday the first series before rotating out so you know I, I, he's he's made the most of his playing time I think when he got in last year and, and I, I think the instincts are there just a matter of the size and him being really small for a linebacker that kind of hurts him at times um, the linebackers I'm still kind of wait and see I think like we've talked about before there's, there's a lot of times we just don't really notice them I, I think their strength is Kanai's play against the run I think he's always had good instincts against the run he's obviously a big hitter and, he, and he's very physical so I think that's kind of where the strength lies with that, with that unit. But still, you still kind of want to see more from them and more playmaking and things like that. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see if Rajon Davis can come and you know catch up quickly and see if he can make any impact. I think it's encouraging that he's getting second team reps already this camp, and because we saw Julian Simon in the spring, and Julian Simon uh, was barely getting like third team reps. He's he's yeah. getting more reps now. Yeah. Um, but um, I think that's an encouraging sign for Rajon Davis and, and those guys. But I'm still, you still kind of want to see more from the linebacker group. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that anything I've seen this camp informs this opinion. It's more just what I know of him as a player. I, I think we're going to see Rajon Davis on the field this fall at some point. I think he will work his way into becoming a factor. I just, he's just such a dy- dynamic playmaker. He can really do everything. And, you know, just so athletic. He's very adept in pass coverage. He, they used him on blitzes all the time. Just a lot you can do with him. So I think that whether it's just a special package or whether he, he really pushes for consistent playing time, I think we'll see him 
this fall. But I, I don't know that I've seen anything in camp that I would point to that would that would drive that opinion. Just more what I know of him is upside and him as a player. But yeah, I mean that's that's the big question mark for this team. I think is, is that position in conjunction with the nose tackle and how it impacts the run defense. But I have questions elsewhere. I have questions at cornerback, and I think it's been the most under talked about storyline this camp. No one's talking about Isaac Taylor Stewart. Everyone's just kind of penciled him in as the starting field corner, uh, and, and and logically so, the former five star prospect. The only guy that really has any experience there, and and I'm not uh, disagreeing. I think he's going to get every chance to lock down that job but i think he's being viewed as like okay well well that void's filled it's not a question no, i think it's a, it's a major question because we really haven't ever seen him reach that potential that is expected and, and be a consistent player there am i looking at this wrong with with its or what's your viewpoint in that spot no i don't think so at all just because at some point he has to practice <laughs> like we need to see him out there um, and it's not a, a good time. Like obviously, the birth of the child, he has to go do that. But Saturday, he didn't scrimmage. And I think there was a portion of, I want to say there was a portion of spring he might have been out for too. And last year, he didn't play as much after starting for a large chunk of uh, 2019. So you kind of just want to see him practice and be out there more and kind of lock down that second corner job I think it's kind of leaving the door open for a guy like Josh Jackson, who's still continuing to make plays in camp. I know some people might have thought like it was a novelty that might have worn off in the spring, but you know, he's still making plays. No, he's good. Um, he's yeah, good. he's still making plays in camp, and he's still he's had a, he's had a good camp, and he's really asserted himself. I, I think if you were to ask me today, I think he would be the number three corner, and that's much more than anyone I think expected from from Josh Jackson. Oh, totally, and, and I'm with you. He'd be the next guy up there. He's made the most plays, been the most consistent. We've we've seen a lot of rotation, uh, first team, second team, but uh, he, he was out there with the first team in the scrimmage, and he just consistently shows up. Uh, at the same time, though, Sierra Wright had a massive day last week. Prophet Brown had a big day earlier in camp, but his long-term future is going to be at that boundary corner position, uh, just what I've been told. You know, Dorian Hewitt, is, is there Jaden Williams actually is, is really since the spring has really changed my impression of him and his potential if he were that to step in I think he could play some snaps so they have options there and I say all that to, to say that I think there should be a lot of pressure on Isaac Taylor Stewart and it shouldn't just be uh, you know a super long leash I think he has to come out and prove himself if he's gonna hold that job down so just lastly let's you know kind of close with the safeties and not much has changed since the spring. We're, we're still seeing Isaiah Polamau and Chase Williams as the main first-team guys, but we see a lot of rotation. And and we've we've talked about it before, we've heard time and again, that the safety is such an important part of the, this defensive scheme and that they, they really want a lot of safety depth because they want to use a lot of guys. And, and we've seen that come to fruition. We've seen Chris Thompson and Xavier Alford get a lot of run. We've seen them rotate safeties within series. Just any, any thoughts overall on that position group and what's jumped out to you so far? Like you said, nothing's really changed since the spring. Obviously, there's the addition of Chris Thompson. And when you see him, I think he's pretty physically imposing. But I think there's still kind of questions about coverage and if he can run or not. And we haven't really seen him in a ton of those situations. I think Xavier Alford is obviously competing for one of those roles too behind um, Chase Williams. So I don't think any has gained ground on Chase or, or major ground on Chase 
Uh, so maybe think he won't be the starter the first week. Um, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. I think Isaiah Polamau's gotten that, that starting spot obviously locked up. And there's no real question marks outside of that. I think the nickel spot uh, might be the more interesting one just because we haven't seen Greg Johnson a ton. Uh, when he's been out there, he's been the starter. But I think Kalen Bullock's had kind of a steady rise. Yes. He's gotten some first-team reps, and I think that's a that's a promising sign for him. Yeah, I mean, so overall, just in summary, you know, major questions at nose tackle, uh, questions at linebacker, and, and really, to me, some questions in the secondary still. And yet, saying all of that, I'm just uh, giving a lot of deference to Tyler Orlando and that I, I just believe that he's going to have an impact that maybe he wasn't able to have in that first year. And I... I you know, you can look at those excuses after the fact, but I do buy into the stuff they talked about of how much not having a spring cost them. And when they got to uh, the delayed fall camp last year, it was really about, okay, we need to get the foundation of this defense in with live reps and just know what we're doing. And, and they couldn't really uh, maybe impart everything they wanted to impart. And I just think his track record is that he can make an impact with the linebackers, that the pass rush – uh, should be really aggressive and creative, and they have the playmakers to do that. I think that'll be the strength, and I just I do believe we're going to see a better defense, even though I have so many questions about how it's going to actually get to that point. I think they've kind of adopted his mindset as well. I think that really stuck with me. I think it was Tuesday last week, the day they put on their shoulder pads for the first time. They were just hitting a lot. <laughs> they were taking guys down to the ground a lot when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> and they were really physical out there. And uh, like you asked Vic Soto earlier about kind of what he learned the first day of full pads, and he's like, our defense likes to hit a lot. And mm-hmm. as, as that's what Todd Orlando, Craig Nybar, and Vic Soto wanted to kind of establish when they first got here. And they just weren't able to do that last year. I think we've seen this defense uh, adopt that mindset now. And I think it showed up last week when they put those pads on. Well, good stuff. There are no questions or uncertainties about Antonio Morales, one of the, the great USC beat writers and a great friend of mine and hopefully a recurring guest on this podcast in the future as uh, that was another great, great appearance and we thank you for your time. Uh, thanks, man. Great discussion with Antonio. Really enjoyed that. Much thanks to him for coming on the show again and you'll definitely hear from him in the future whenever we can get him back. Let's pivot now to some recruiting talk with Rivals National Recruiting Director, and friend of the program, Adam Gorney. Adam, it's been a busy couple weeks for you and the rest of the analysts. Uh, how you doing? Doing great, but uh, rankings takes a toll. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, well we appreciate uh, having you on the show for a little bit today. And obviously the Rivals 250 for the 2022 class dropped today on Tuesday. And one of the biggest gainers, uh, I think, uh, nationally of any prospect was USC quarterback commit Devin Brown, up 120. 25 or so spots into the top 50 at number 48. Let's just start there. Obviously, you and I were both at the Elite 11 back in July, but what all went into giving Devin Brown that massive boost? Yeah, we we knew the summer was going to be important, especially because of the shutdowns, and some teams were playing, some teams had an abbreviated season, you know, everything was kind of going on, and there was just a lot of moving parts there, but we knew the summer was going to be a super important time to especially kind of really... you know, dive deep into the quarterback position. We saw a lot of guys in Atlanta at our Rivals Five Star Challenge. We saw a lot of guys at the Elite Eleven. 
out here in Manhattan Beach. And so he was just outstanding. Um, you know, one of the strongest arms in the country, uh, great decision maker, you know, really impressed us all week at the Elite 11. It just wasn't one workout. And so he was right on par, really, for a long time with Cade Klubnick and uh, Walker Howard, who were both five-star guys. And, um, you know, some of those other top guys, I think Drew Allar, the Penn State commit, was kind of in that discussion for a little bit. But Devin Brown was right there for a long time. There were some workouts where he was a little inconsistent. I think he kind of relies on his arm strength a little too much. But he was he was great. There's, there's nothing I'm going to say bad about him. He definitely impressed us. And, and because of that, we wanted to move him up in the rankings. Now, is, is this about maybe his ceiling, or is there any chance that he gets into some five-star discussion down the road? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll never count that out. I think it all depends. You know, obviously he had that huge game to start his yeah. senior year in Utah and those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> and, and certainly that will never be counted out. It will always be part of the discussion for every player across the country. Just because we moved him up doesn't mean that's – you know he's absolutely maxed out now so we'll see him again you know during during his senior year we'll see a lot of other guys during their senior years the all-star events are going to be in another important kind of evaluation thing and then you know we'll make it a, de- a determination on where we think he can land is does he have five-star potential i think he's probably you know on that cusp of the discussion um, i wouldn't say he's absolutely a five-star quarterback right now um, but we will definitely review it and uh, and kind of see where it plays out over the next few months. It's going to be really all up to him and his performance and and also, you know, how many five-star quarterbacks we want. We have three right now, you know, um, Kate Klubnick, Walker Howard, and then Gunnar Stockton, who really didn't do anything this summer. So it's going to be super important to see him during his senior year and at the All-Star events. But a guy like Devin Brown is certainly in the discussion of, of one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Knowing what Jackson Dart did in that Corner Canyon High School offense last year, how, how does that affect the lens and the filter through which you would view Devin Brown's stats and numbers this year? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's just hard to – you don't want to rank off of solely high school stats because there are guys that put up just out, you know insane numbers and then never really translate to a college and NFL game. And our rankings are completely based off of, you know, obviously how you are as a high school football player, but how you project into college and where you'll be drafted into the NFL. And then at that point, you know, we've sort of determined that, you know, at some point we have to stop of, 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 how, of how our ranking system is going to work. And so, you know, Jackson Dart, obviously some good reviews at USC so far. That's, that's very good. But there have been other quarterbacks, you know, in the state of Utah and elsewhere that have put up tremendous numbers and then, you know, you've never really heard from them again. So that is, that is just one of the many things that we're going to look at, um, you know, to determine it. I think probably the most important thing when it comes to quarterbacks is just looking at them all in this, in, in a similar setting or at best the same setting. And you can really kind of just by doing this, years and years and years get a real feel for who's number one who's number two and so on down the line um obviously stats are going to be something that's considered but it's not going to be something that just because he has great stats he's he's guaranteed to move up for sure two other usc commits in the top 50 damani jackson stays at number nine and then mike cal williams 
goes down just a little bit to number 27. I know previously we had talked and and you wanted to see Michael kind of prove that five-star status and keep that the rest of the way. What was the discussion around him? And he, he does stay a five-star for now. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you know, you know the way we're looking at it now, and we try to get to about 32 five-stars every year. We want to sort of mimic what an NFL draft first round would look like if you're a first-rounder, you're a five-star, that kind of thinking. And I think Michael Williams, Gunnar Stockton, and Tyree West are the three that are sort of on the fringe. I think there are some 6.0 four-stars, which is the highest level four-star, that will absolutely 100% push them uh, through senior seasons and especially at all-star events. Um, and so Michael Williams was one of those guys that kind of came in on the fringe. I actually liked him a, a pretty good deal at the five-star challenge. Um, he was much more athletic and physical. There was one rep where... He just put his hand on a guy and just shoved him right back into the ground, which you know speaks to his physicality. I think that was impressive. Does that mean he's definitely a locked-in five-star? No, absolutely not. And so, you know, we're going to see a lot of guys, especially at that defensive end position, which is completely loaded. I mean, strong side defensive end is very, very good. Probably about six or seven deep that are in the discussion of five stars. Not all of them will get it, of course, but there, there are definitely some names there. So if you want to be one of those five stars, you got to back it up because Shamar Stewart's very good and Amari Abor is very good. And at weak side defensive end, Jeremiah Alexander is a beast and Marvin Jones is very, very good. So, you know, there, there, there can only be so many five stars. And if you're not a five star, it doesn't mean you're a terrible football player. It just means that maybe, you know, you don't have, are you going to be testing off the charts in at the combine are you going to just completely dominate college football and be a no-brainer first rounder those are the people we're looking for so he's still definitely you know on that fringe he had a good summer which helped him but he's got to continue that through his senior year in all-star games damani this is something that we've kind of discussed a lot and i really would have put him in number two at corner um, if, if the rankings were just completely up to me i kind of got outvoted there Jaheim Singletary is the number one corner, just freakishly long. Denver Harris is a kid that's coming off of a knee injury, but is just outstanding when he's playing, and he'll be back for his year, so that's not a concern. But Damani runs at 10-2-5. It's tie, he ties a state record. You know if he runs a number like that at the combine, it's going to really impress a whole lot of people. They'll already have that time on him when he gets there. Um, it's just a question of a little bit of on-field stuff. He's a little handsy at the line. There have been some, you know, penalties that are probably unnecessary. And there is this, you know, and I think, you know, you've seen enough of him too, is when he has to turn and run, it's not 10-2-5 speed. It's a, it's just a, mm-hmm. not slow, but it's just not like that crazy dynamic of Dory Jackson, DeAnthony Thomas speed at corner that you would expect. So I think, you know, I don't think it's from a lack of confidence or something. I just think that, as, you know, when, as he plays the position, he gets a little physical and handsy. And, you know, so, so you know, he's still a five-star. He's still one of the top players in the country. And there's no doubt about his athletic ability. His physical ability looks great. I mean, all those kinds of things. It's just he needs to clean up being so handsy and, because, you know, there is a little bit of a worry that in the Pac-12 he's going to be a penalty waiting to happen. We could talk about so many names uh, in terms of USC targets. I just want to ask you about two, though, today. Uh, both in the top 100, Kristen Miller uh, moves up to number 91, obviously close friends with Michael Williams. 
came out on his USC visit with Michael, and I, I think there was some real momentum and thought that he might make a decision uh, this summer. And he's really backed off that. He's not going to wait till the All-Star games. W- what's your feel about just kind of the way things have changed with his timeline, and, and, and do you think that's affected where USC stands? Yeah, um, I loved Kristen Miller at the Five Star Challenge. Um, not the not the biggest, most massive defensive lineman I've ever seen, but a guy that just gets done, goes to work, battles, like constantly being aggressive on the defensive line. And I think that was really impressive to see. The, the, the latest thing I've heard, and it's really just a rumor, not really backed up by any fact or anybody on the record or anything, is that... You know, he kind of waited because Georgia started stepping it up with him a, a, a good deal late in the summer. And that, you know, Michael might be kind of looking in that direction too. We'll see if it happens. Uh, we've talked before, getting guys to be, you know, to commit early right after a visit like that and then to keep them committed throughout the entire year till signing day yeah. is very difficult. It's very difficult, especially if in-state Georgia is coming hard after you and all those kinds of things. Now, Michael Williams picked Georgia, or picked USC for a lot of reasons. Uh, Kristen Miller was very, very close to a commitment for a lot of reasons, and if USC keeps their foot on the gas there, they're certainly in the ballgame to keep both of them. But I do think it is a little telling that, you know, things were sort of on the path to, to a commitment there, and then it just sort of slowed down a lot. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but as a football player, I love that kid. I think he's super aggressive. I don't think you could really teach that into somebody who wants to kind of battle it. I love kids at camps, especially at these national-level camps that are super alpha and want to be in every drill and rep and go after it and compete, and he was definitely that guy in Atlanta and he won a lot of the reps it was pretty impressive uh, just how good he was so we wanted to move him uh, up and and we did and I'm not even sure he's up high enough right now Um, you know like I said he's not going to like blow you away from a physical standpoint but he gets the job done every single rep he's on the field yeah pretty much an unmatched motor from what I saw at at that camp in Atlanta Javante Barnes, the other guy I want to ask you about, number 98 on our top 100, four-star running back from Las Vegas. USC really wants to add him as a second running back in this class. But uh, as you put in your column this week, Alabama's making a push for him. Where do you see his recruitment stand? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, so Oklahoma was kind of a team that he had really been very, very interested in. I still think he is. Um they have Relique Brown committed, but they're going to use him in sort of different ways, whether it's in the slot or catching balls out of the backfield. They have Gavin Sacha committed. So they sort of, you know, I don't know if they're completely done at running back, but, um, you know, do you, do you want to be like the third option there? That, that seems out. Alabama seems to really be stepping it up with him, being very interested in him. You know, they lost Le'Veon Moss, who probably ends up at LSU. They're going to go after another kind of big pounder running back, which Barnes is capable of doing. They have Emmanuel Henderson in that class, but we sort of moved him to athlete because he might play other positions. So Alabama is going to be there. I think Barnes has actually liked Ole Miss a lot. We'll see if that kind of has any traction, but I would be very surprised if USC wasn't in this until the end. He's a Vegas kid. He's been there. He likes it very, very much. And, uh, you know, sometimes those things just kind of the, the play out. So, um, you know, his coach, David Hill, also took Darnell Washington all around the country to visit, um, you know, a million schools before they picked Georgia. So, like, that's the style of how they like to do the recruiting game is just 
take a ton of visits, see everything that you can possibly see, and then make the best decision. Um, I still think right now that best decision would be USC if I had to pick today for Bonds. Good stuff. And we'll get you back on to talk about a bunch of other guys down the road here. But I have to close with just your reaction to Tethero McMillan, the top local wide receiver, choosing Oregon on Monday, committing there over USC and Arizona. There was a while where I think people thought Arizona might be the, the pick. Uh, Oregon got some late momentum there, but obviously a big loss for USC, who misses on C.J. Williams and T-Mac and some big guys in recent classes at that position. What was your just your big picture reaction on the number of fronts there? You know, I I I I, I, I very much dislike people who cover recruiting and, and are never surprised by anything. Like they <laughs> have every you know the crystal ball on every single guy and everything. Everybody knows everywhere where everybody's going. No one surprises anybody. But, you know, when Oregon has been doing such a phenomenal job recruiting Southern California, um, I, I, even, even still, I was surprised by it. He had talked about, like, interest in Oregon because of the coaching staff there and because he liked Marcus Mariota growing up and those kinds of things. But, man, I mean, he has te- two teammates going to Arizona. He loved that Arizona visit so much. I mean, things, it just seemed like it was really clicking there. And, you know, as closely as, as we have to follow this stuff, their mothers are all talking on Twitter about playing together. And it just seemed like he was going to, and he's a kid that really isn't like super into recruiting and doesn't really follow like, you know, college football so closely and all this kind of stuff. So, so going to Arizona wouldn't have been like a complete shock. Like if that was like where he felt the best and the most comfortable, it wouldn't have been a complete shock, but for him to, you know, turn down just staying home and going to USC or turn down playing with his friends at Arizona to go to Oregon. man, that really speaks to what Mario Cristobal is doing up there and him being able to go in there and, you know, getting, you know, Justin Flo and, everybody else that they've been recruiting to 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 do that t-mac we finally moved him to the top player or the top wide receiver in the state he and cj williams are are neck and neck very different players in some ways but um you know t-mac is when he's on the field he's just so long so athletic he's like a volleyball player at wide receiver and so that's going to give them a big outside target that sure i mean usc would have absolutely not said no to um, but you know, getting getting these kids to stay home, you, that has to be priority number one. And and missing out on C.J. Williams, who goes to modern day, who's Damani Jackson's teammate and T-Mac, that that definitely is uh, you know some misses there. Yeah, the wide receiver recruiting is is the glaring concern right now for USC fans. Uh, I, I can tell you that they're going to keep pursuing T-Mac and trying to change his mind between now and signing day. But obviously, a big loss. Adam, great stuff as always. Thank you for the time on a very busy week. We do appreciate it. Okay, Ryan, anytime, man. And as they say, that's all, folks. Thanks to Antonio Morales. Thanks to Adam Gorney. And thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast. Our numbers are growing. Uh, it's really uh, encouraging and uh, makes it even more fun to put these together. We will be on, a, like I said, a semi-regular schedule through the preseason. Definitely a weekly schedule in the season. And we will keep trying to bring you a variety of guests and voices to the show. Until next time.